Welcome to the Plus Up podcast brought to you by Media Plus Advisors. I'm Carly Feinstein and I'm joined today by my business partners and gal pals, Susan George and Perianne Grignan. The three of us talk to each other no less than five times a day and we talk about everything, not just business, our families, the TV shows we're binging, what we read, what we heard on the radio. We just love to talk and sometimes have a healthy debate. So it's been pretty effortless to come up with topic ideas for our podcast. And I know we promised our listeners guests, but that will have to wait because we have just way too much to talk about on our own right now, especially today. For those of our listeners who have had their fingers on the pulse of the marketing and advertising industry, you know that the past two weeks have been chock full of great conference content. First, there was Advertising Week 2020, which ran from September 29th through October 8th, which was eight days with over 500 sessions and literally thousands of speakers from the US and Europe. Then the ANA had their annual Advertising Financial Management Conference on October 6th and 7th with over 15 sessions across the two days. We had to be very choiceful about which content we dove into because there just weren't enough hours in the day to, to listen to it all. So for this podcast, I asked Perianne and Susan to each come prepared to talk about three to four sessions or topics that jumped out to them, and I did the same. So let's jump right in. I'm going to start with you, Perianne. What's the first thing you want to share with us and our listeners? I thought... The topic of the ISBA study, which was the study that was uh, conducted in the UK, um, you know, finally came out in May of 2020. And it started off asking a basic question about the media supply chain. What does my programmatic supply chain look like? You know, sometimes the basic and kind of like big questions sometimes are the hardest to answer. And, you know, what they did was that they, you know, did a waterfall and they, and they broke down the different pieces. And one of the key findings in that waterfall is that only half of advertisers spend actually reaches the publishers. So you've got a 50-50 mix, right, of, you know, um, consumer facing and then, you know, if you will, like the other, you know, tech and supply chain, um, you know, management of the process. But the other thing that really was interesting was that, 15% of advertiser spend is, and I'm going to quote this, un, an unknown delta. It's unknown that they could not actually attribute that spend to any part of the supply chain. And at the ANA conference, Kerry Bruce, uh, one of the lead attorneys from Reed Smith, who's the, Reed Smith is the chief counsel um, for the ANA. She made a great point when we talked to her, um, you know, say last week saying that, you know, a 15% gap, you know, would you put up with that in traditional media? Like, that's a big number, right, Susan? Yeah, like, absolutely. That was, that's huge, huge. Huge. I mean, can you imagine if that was happening, like, like every time, you know, you ran a television campaign? No, no. And, and I think, you know, given, um, you know, how long of a history there is in the TV industry, people would have figured out by now where that money was going if that was the case. Right. And, and, you know, it should be noted, this was a UK study, um, but they had a lot of diverse advertisers that did participate in it. And the other thing was how long it took. So the, uh, the genesis of it is that um, it was first essentially launched in January of 2018 
and the study was released in May of 2020. And they talk about it when you read deep into the study that, you know, there were process and cost issues that slowed the process down. But it's also interesting that these essential questions about supply chain costs and finding value, you know, take so long to properly answer. Um, and it continues to be, you know, a source of concern for advertisers. You know, they're seeking accountability. They're seeking transparency. And if you've got 15% sitting out there that you can't even attribute, you know, whether it's transparent or not, um, you know, I think that's something that's going to get a lot more play. And I know that people like Harry Bruce and others are really trying to elevate that and make that into a key initiative that that marketers take on. So that's that's the first one that I had, Carly. Great. And that one was actually discussed at both conferences in a little bit of a different way with on the on the ANA conference, Kerry and Sam from PwC, they presented a lot of the findings of the study. But then at Advertising Week, Sam actually moderated a discussion with some industry people, and I found that one very interesting. I happen to have had that on my list, but I'm not going to talk about that one today. <laughs> but um, Susan, I'll pass it to you. Tell us about one of the things that you that, that popped out to you. Sure. So um, I am, in all honesty, still making my way through the Advertising Week content because there are just so many sessions. And to me, I'm interested in so much of it that I think I'm going to be spending the next two weeks catching up on all of the different sessions I want to listen to. But um, I did have listened to quite a bit of the content. Um, and one of the things that really stood out to me as the first one was it really kicked off the New York section of advertising week. So like you said, it started on September 29th and went through October 8th. The first week was London based. The second week was New York based. So on uh, October 5th, it was really like the 9am. It was called the revolution begins and it was moderated by Bob Lord from IBM and featured Linda Yaccarino from NBC universal, Kirk McDonald from group M and ran her Harbor state farm. And, you know, they really spent a lot of time talking about, you know, how the business is at a inflection point right now, you know, there's all these different, you know, topics converging, like consumer privacy and advertisers looking for more effectiveness and publishers, you know, wanting to make sure that they're getting more money um, for the content that they're creating. Um, and it was a lot of talk about um, data and how to really cleanse data and focus on AI for the future. So I thought it was a really interesting discussion that that kicked off the tone of the week but one of the things that actually really stood out to me was towards the end bob lord asked each of the three participants what they're most concerned about for 2020 so you know linda yaccarina what she said is that you know people need to let go of legacy thinking and i thought you know that's a very interesting idea you know trying to really harness all of the change that's gone on in the past six months um for everybody's businesses to really see how you can move forward. And, you know, I think I was joking around with Perry Ann about this when I first heard this, that, you know, when we hear let go of legacy thinking, you know, the the cynic in me will say, well, that's great for NBC Universal because that helps them get more money. And, you know, marketers are going to have a really hard time telling their CFO when asked about pricing, well, oh, you need to let go of legacy thinking. But in some ways, there is some truth to that because the world is changing very quickly um, as far as where consumer demand is going from what they're watching that, you know, advertisers do need to be able to react quickly to that. So really balancing that is going to be key. 
But the other two responses from Kirk McDonald and Rand Harbert really stood out to me. Um, and what Kirk said is he said, there's this like fake news perceived adversarial relationship between agencies, marketers, and vendors that we're all at each at odds with each other. And he said, that's really not the case. There really is a spirit of people working together more. And then really tying into that, Rand Harbert, what he said is in general, and it was, you know, it felt like a bold statement where we are in the country right now. He just said, my main concern is that there's a general lack of civility. And that's it. It's in the world. It's in the industry. And it's something that needs to be addressed. And I, I think... To me, kind of hearing that as we're kicking off the week, it it, it felt like, um, you know, the right tone to set because, uh, you know, we, we talk about lifting up the ecosystem, but um, I, I think there's this general feeling of it's been a tough six to eight months. Everybody's been going through change. You know, we we're all trying to kind of get ourselves through the end of the year, um, you know, with everything going on and, and just it was a really positive focus to me. So that's what really resonated to me about it. So, yeah, that's great. We actually, if you remember on our last podcast, we talked a little bit about that, 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 that feeling is around that if it's called fake news, I having been in consulting for, for many years, I see it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I even said, you know, that there's a little bit of human decency has gone, but agree 100% with you and the speakers that there's a shift happening right now where just everybody having more time to think, to breathe, you're just bringing kindness back and bringing partnership back. And that's a perfect segue, and I didn't even mean for that to happen, <laughs> <laughs> about um, two of the, the sessions from the ANA that that stuck out to me that I wanted to talk about um, were both around partnership. And it's just something that I always just hold, I hold near and dear. I, I just wrote about it on and published on LinkedIn. So these things definitely stuck out at me and, and they were from a different perspective. So that's why I'm gonna talk about them at the same time. I'll save some other ones for later. But the first session that I really enjoyed it was called Partnership Between Marketing and Finance. And um, it was two wonderful ladies from Georgia Pacific, Kirsten Benden, the CFO. I apologize if I'm butchering her name, but Laura Niebush, who is the VP of Consumer Experience. So what this conversation was about was a CMO and a CFO talking together. Now, what we have always seen I think I could speak for all of us. There's just been, I'm not going to say everywhere, but with a lot of our clients, there's some, some, you know, adversarial between those two players within an organization where it, it can just sometimes be a lot of misalignment and just different, different goals. Um, and what I thought was so great about their successful partnership is that they really made it clear that a CMO and a CFO need to be aligned on both short-term and long-term goals, and most importantly, the role that brand building plays. So they talked about how it's so important to, of course, challenge each other's thinking and, and, and in a way, try to step into each other's roles to help the decision process. 
Um, and I, I guess it also probably stuck out to me this whole conversation because they were able to talk about how you never were, you know, sleepy, sleepy brands like toilet paper and and paper towels really kind of played a, a lot happened during COVID with the shortage. And they normally didn't have to respond so quickly to these kinds of issues with there being a shortage. And because of their partnership and being aligned to the short term and long term goals, they were able to really just address client, con uh, excuse me, consumer concerns and and make some things happen. And, and, and I thought that was great. And then another session also from the ANA that also was about partnership, um, but not within an organization, more partnership the way we always talk about it, which is uh, uh, marketers and their external partners. And in this session, Greg Wright um, from the ANA and Matt Kassendorf from the 4As did a presentation about a study that they that the two organizations did together. Um, and they really, this, you know, of course stuck out to me because we just talked about this um, ourselves. And this is, this is, so important to have relationship management programs in place. Um, and I, I've downloaded the whole report and can't wait to dive into it because I'm a big old nerd who loves to dive into data and pull insights and trends and best practices. And, and I'll get to that, but just from the, at a later date, not today, really what um, really stuck out for me from this, their, their presentation of the report is, to ensure, one of them said it, and I don't remember who, to ensure that both parties are some value out of the relationship. And that was so refreshing to hear because I've always been saying that, that a partnership should be mutually beneficial or else it's just a transaction. So that was really cool to hear. Um, and then the other thing that I thought was really important that they brought up was they were talking, you know, obviously about all the different components of a relationship management program and how to build it into contracts and all the different elements of it. But um, they mentioned that for those people who are listening, those marketers that are on the smaller side, they should not be afraid of this. This is not, it doesn't have to be the big whole thing. It could be, it's scalable. You could scale it down and start slow and um, you know you don't have to have so many resources to manage and monitor uh, how a relationship is going. Um, so I thought that that was important. And then I think just you know the key findings were just very positive and validating to their expectations. And I think for me the most important part is that it's important to take action on the findings to improve and evolve partnerships. So those are two of the things I wanted to share with with you guys and our listeners. Great. I mean, I have one I want to add to that um, because I got really nervous when you said you were talking about two uh, discussions from the ANA that focus on partnership because one of the ones that I had uh, pulled was not one of those. I was nervous you were stealing one of mine, but you didn't. Um, <laughs> but it was actually building effect, an effective partner ecosystem, which was uh, two gentlemen from KPMG, Nathan Clark and Jason Galloway, along with um, Sebastian Sleck from Warner Media. And so what um, 
KPMG did is they worked with Warner Media to do uh, you know a, tr- a big transformation project with Warner Media and how they were working with their agencies and doing agency selection and things like that. So um, you know again it really did tie into some of the spirit of partnership. Um, you know some things that I thought were interesting that I heard on it was you know the, that that um, KPMG was really going in with this idea of doing no harm that realizing that you know these are people, um, you know, relationships that have been built over a long period of time and not taking the approach that we needed to, you know, slash all these relationships and burn them down. Um, and, you know, they focused a lot on, you know, how they were shifting their thinking to think about how, um, focusing on value as opposed to savings and things like that, and really how they can get these, these relationships and and everyone within the organization to think of them as partners versus support help, which I thought was a a interesting way to put it, because I think, you know, as we've seen some of these relationships deteriorate over, you know, several years, that there has been this attitude that maybe agencies aren't your partners anymore. They're just there to support you. So um, I thought that was interesting. But one of the things that they call, you know, kind of both answered, it was uh, Jason and Sebastian, you know, how to bridge the gap between procurement and marketers. And, um, you know, really KPMG, Jason Galloway, he was saying, you know, procurement really needs to stop thinking of when you're buying agency services, stop thinking of it as the same as you're buying pencils. You know, these are people, these are talent, what their needs are today are going to be different than what their needs are tomorrow. So really try to focus on that. And really what um, Sebastian was saying from a procurement perspective is that marketers really need to partner with them and and get rid of this idea that procurement is just slow and going to slow down the process that, you know, if you really work together, procurement can be more agile, be quicker. And and one thing he really cited is that, you know, throughout the whole um, past six months with or eight months with COVID, however long it's been at this point, you know, he really has built a more trusting relationships with agencies. And he talked about, you know, this idea that he's been there for agency therapy. And in doing that, one of the things that's happened is he's he's kind of, you know, built trust with the agencies as they've kind of expressed concerns about some parts of the process that might not be working um, with the marketers that they're, that they're working with. And what it's done is it's really helped to, it's helped procurement really help them make the changes they need. And, um, you know, the kind of point leaving there was everybody wants to make sure that they're adding value. Like no agency wants to be in a relationship where they're not value added. So being able to have that trust to um, have those conversations so that everyone can like kind of look at the situation and say, okay, that's not adding value. Let's change it. Now this is going to add value. That's really a win-win for everyone. And, and nobody wants to be seen as a non-value added partner. So I think that is interesting. That's so well said, Susan. I think that like nobody wakes up in the morning and says, wow, today is the day I'm not going to add any value. It's interesting. I thought partnership was throughout everything. Mm -hmm. I I think Mark Hudson um, uh, from Walgreens ran a really great conference uh, for the ANA. Um, You know, he was the host. And I thought the tone was that partnership is not just having a moment. It's actually real and it's actually going to contribute to shareholder value. It can't just be, oh, let's be nice to each other. It actually has to be something on the back end that um, investors, uh, consumers, and employers, uh, employees 
uh, and all their partners are going to say, yeah, this is working. Um, you know, a couple of, of, of points that I pulled out of it is that, you know, procurement is always, procurement organizations have always felt, you know, they're under a dark cloud and they're trying hard to become more like strategic sourcing. I also think the brand sides have to pick up too. And what they have to do to satisfy um, those CFO kind of like quantitative objectives is to really get underneath how does brand building attribute to the success of the bottom line. And that piece is still at some, you know, at some marketers missing. So I think that, you know, my takeaway was, is that partnership, boy, it, it has to be there. It can add value. And the brands have to also prove um, that the brand building efforts that they do are also lifting everything on the bottom line. Um, it was so prevalent, wasn't it? It was just everywhere. I swear I was going to the, say the same thing when you when you brought that up, Perry, and that I, when I sat down to look at the agenda and choose what I was going to listen to for the ANA financial management <laughs> conference, <laughs> I wasn't expecting yeah. <laughs> to, see, to hear so much about partnership, trust, value, I was expecting to hear a lot more about savings, bottom line, shareholders, and that really, that yes, that was the end game, but it was not the what it was all about and what everyone was talking about. And and I was so I found that so refreshing. I have so who, other thing that I I had another one that is uh, also having more of a moment, and I I, I think that's about self service platforms. You know, they're, they're finally getting more interest in penetration. And my kind of story about this is that, remember several years ago that every year was going to be the year of mobile, and it never was? And, oh, is this the year of mobile? And then all of a sudden, it was all mobile. Mm -hmm. I also think that's happening with self-service platforms. You know, it used to be something that I think marketers said, um, yep, I, I, uh, I want to hire you. I want this. Um, I want to make sure that I can do hands-on keyboard and I want to make sure that you have a platform that I can use. And, you know, a lot of vendors, whether they were agencies or DSPs, um, you know, or DMPs were really, you know, putting in a lot of effort on making, you know, a graphical user interface like perfect and that anybody could kind of use it uh, and could get started. But it never really activated. It was something that, you know, was in an RFP but it was never used. And so it was kind of like, wow, you know, our self-service platform is really going to get there. But you know what? It, 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 was, it was throughout a lot of discussions about in-housing. So I think the implication for that, when I think about it, is, you know, why is that? Why are things like partnership, value, um, you know, self-service platforms and in-housing, why are they really just becoming more about what uh, the media operations business is really about. It's got to be that it adds value, that it elevates the bottom line, and that marketers really want near real-time decision-making, and they want to be able to activate their own integrations. They, they don't and cannot stand for any more, you know, a siloed insight that doesn't connect back to anything else. So I think it's a time that in 2020, 
Um, you know, we'll look back on it as being a very difficult year, but it might actually have been a tipping point for things like, you know, partnership and self-service platforms um, that are really starting to happen. So um, I, I heard that throughout many, many other discussions. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, you know, what I was talking about with the first one. I mean, I mean, we really are at an inflection point. It, it, so much change has happened. And I think someone had said, I think it was it was Linda Yaccarino, you know, you think about uh, the past six months of anyone's business is so dramatically different than where they were in the 12 months prior that, you know, a, a lot of things that we people saw coming as change were there and people are trying to embrace it. So, so I think, you know, um, hopefully, you know, 2020 will not just be remembered as a, <laughs> you know, whatever all the memes are saying about 2020 and, uh, you know, there will be some positive that comes from it as well. It, it's absolutely true. And I, I try to focus on the positive. Um, and I do think that there has been quite a bit. Um, and I think going back to what both of you were just talking about, it's actually a good, I can actually talk about one of my, uh, the, the sessions that I, that I listened to, um, is that, so a positive thing that came of all of this is so many organizations have to be more flexible and nimble. And that's been, we, we see it. And so one of the sessions from Advertising Week that stuck out to me was called Audio is the New Social. And I really, I, I didn't know what they meant by that. And that was kind of cool that it, it stuck out to me because audio, hey, what are we doing right now? We are recording <laughs> right. a podcast. So that that's probably one of the reasons. And even though people make fun of me, I love to listen to the radio and I sit in my car sometimes. It's an escape. Uh, you know, I don't have a commute anymore. I don't have long drives. I'm not going anywhere. But I am stuck inside with two kids, a husband and a, two dogs. Sometimes I need an escape. And, and the radio is that escape for me. So this really resonated with me. And so what this session was, it was actually a conversation between Chelsea Campbell, who's a creative director um, at Pandora Media, and James Clark, who is a senior director of media analytics and CRM for Frito-Lay. And it was just a really great conversation. I learned so much. I actually reached out to both of them on LinkedIn because I just would wanted to let them know how much their their session resonated with me and how much I learned from it. Um, you know, James said something that really stuck out to me, which was that right now is the second renaissance of audio. So, you know, radio was the was it decades ago. And now in the past few years, there's been a resurgence and a revitalization because of streaming and the rising trend of podcasting. Um, and, you know, as a as someone in his role, his job is to follow the consumer and anticipating future trends. So Frito-Lay got on the bandwagon very early and has been it's been a progressive journey for them. That's, of course, informed by data. Um, and then then um, Chelsea was talking about how it really, you know, obviously she didn't want to sound like she was doing a, a sell, but there is a lot of enhanced measurement and data capabilities, which is setting up marketers for success. And the fact that the creative is, is so easy to and fast to develop 
and that there's a level of personalization and that you can engage with consumers and have a two-way dialogue. It's really kind of a, um, these are James's words, rich and uncharted territory. Um, and the, what was, they, they, they talked quite a bit about not that audio is the new social as much as audio and a lot of parallels. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really cool. And talking about how audio, like social, can be an extension of a touch point or broader campaign, but that neither of them should be an afterthought. And sometimes they can be the anchor of a campaign and be it. Um, and that there's just, you can carry learnings from each each of those mediums together to to each other. And in both cases, in both with social and with audio and audio, they were talking about being streaming music, podcasts, mm -hmm. voice activation, really all of these things was what the word audio was pertaining to, not just one of those things. Um, there's just so many in both cases, there's the ability to personalize content. There's an advent of new ad formats. Um, there, you know, what's really great about audio, it's elevating the social role of, of, of music in culture. And I just thought that was really interesting. And there's a lot of in both, both social and, and with um, radio, podcasting, everything, you have the opportunity for influencers. Mm -hmm. um, so really great things that could be done for brands. And James was talking a bit about how Doritos jumped really into it, being that they are kind of a cutting edge brand and they um, they really like to engage with the, their consumers with a two-way dialogue. So um, it really has the ability, audio has the ability to connect us. And these again are his words. He said, the sky is the limit to help humanize brands and bring the brand's voice to life. And just all, all of this resonated with me. So do, do either of you have anything to add about do, audio? I, 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 just a little, a little thing there is that Audio has done a great job in doing one thing really well. They've gone from being disruptive to personal. So it used to be you're in the car, you're at the beach, you're even in your house, you're listening, and all of a sudden here, here comes the commercial block, right? And that's disruptive. But that was the model then. That was the only way that they could actually, you know, uh, you know, get a lot of reach. So it's gone from that to being personal. And when it does that, and it is personal, and it's something that you like, it's not that disruptive to you. Right, because it's relevant. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. Susan, what do you think? And it's before, I, I wanted to add to what you just said, Perianne, that again, being an avid radio listener, I always, I, I connect with DJ endorsements. When a DJ is actually talking about a product that has changed his or her life or enhanced their life, made something easier, well, that's a real influencer because I have a connection to a personal connection to the DJs. I Just like many radio listeners, you feel like they're your friends. So mm -hmm. just as if a friend is recommending a product, when you hear a DJ endorsing it, there's a lot of influence there. And like you were saying, 
it's not disruptive. It's very natural. Um, it's very genuine, which is really uh, great things that marketers want to surround their brands. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I've been listening to podcasts for a long time, um, you know, and I think that's one thing that really, as far as like some of the initial advertising around um, podcasts was really doing these reads. And um, so, so I bought my Casper mattress like three or four years ago because um, my, my favorite watch what crappens was talking about it. I used the code that they had and, you know, it was after like, you know, the fifth commercial they did for it. I was like, Oh, let me check this out and look at this. So I, I think there is a lot of power in that, but it's funny. I was thinking the entire time um, you were talking is I saw a, something in the trades, I guess it was probably a month ago um, talking about uh, it was something from Spotify, but they used my favorite expression talking about share of ear, which um, I think is a great way to mm. talk about how all the different types of audio content out there, like, radio, streaming radio, podcasts, music, um, ebooks, things like, or um, audiobooks, things like that, just how much content there is. And, and I think it was, you know, how, how Spotify really had a, a very high share of ear, but I really love that term for that. I do it. I'm with you. I love that term. And I think we can't not talk about the fact that, you know, the home assistance and voice <laughs> activation is going to be huge for for marketers to tap into direct e-commerce direct you know you talked about just getting a code and and buying something and being very happy that kind of like your friend gave you a recommendation and a disc their discount code i've yep. done the same thing i've had elvis duran loves sherry's berries and i love chocolate covered strawberries so i will get myself a valentine's day gift right. <laughs> and i use his code but think about the fact now how it, i'm sure you could do it already i haven't done it yet but voice activation to just say order me hey Hey, whoever, I don't want to give anybody extra credit here, but <laughs> hey, Siri, hey, Echo, hey, Google, whatever, place an order with Stop and Shop, place an order with Amazon. Um, by the way, my phone just woke up. I was going to say that. I was going to say those things. <laughs> I'm glad, though, that the, the, the Google Home didn't because I don't hey, know. Hey, assistant who will not be named. My virtual assistant, you will not be named. That's fine. <laughs> Who wants okay. to go next? Um, I have a, a very different one from what we've been talking about, um, which I'm happy to share. Um, it was, you know, there was a lot of content on connected TV. So one of the ones I was, um, you know, really interested in, it was multi-screen consumption requires multi-screen delivery. And, and it is kind of like a little bit of a wonky, like in the weeds talking about getting to uh, cross-platform measurement and things like that. So it was led by uh, Danielle Delorio from the VAB. And um, she had Kara Lewis from Amplify, Andy Fisher from Merkel, and Ari Turner from Ampersand on the panel. And, you know, what I really liked about this is one, um, you know, Danielle did mention that there's over 16 different industry initiatives looking for cross-platform measurement right now. And to me, you know, I think that's great that there are so many different efforts, but it's also, you know, very confusing for clients and agencies to try to work through that many different initiatives to try to figure out how they're actually going to get to cr cross-platform measurement and what the different um 
platforms and vendors are who are working on those initiatives. Um, but one of the things that, you know, we, you know, in the, in, this was an industry conference. So everybody's kind of talking to their, themselves about, you know, bringing connected in with a linear and what's addressable and things like that. But the point someone made is to consumers, it's all TV. They don't care about the device, the platform, don't even know half the time what what streaming app they're watching it on. You know, there's been so much, you know, stacking of streaming services on top of cable or without cable. And, um, you know, so it's just it's just interesting to remember that. And what it also what they were also talking about, which, you know, one of the things we've been talking a long time about whenever we give upfront inflation estimates and stuff like that, we're always talking about the fragmentation. The fragmentation is what's making everything, it's harder to reach consumers and that that makes, you know, the scarcity drive pricing up. Well, that's not getting any better. So just <laughs> fragmentation is becoming even more of an issue. So one of the things um, Kara Lewis was talking about, you know, she she is at Amplify. So Amplify is part of the Dentsu network that, and they're really focused on, you know, harnessing technology and data. So she did talk about how, you know, when she, they're looking at um, video buys, they are taking a digital first um, approach and then layering in linear TV. Um, but, you know, also she said another way they're looking at that is, you know, really a tentpole based approach. But she said, you know, one thing that they're always having conversations with marketers about is, really, you, you know, you really want to focus on these audiences, but it, it's surprising because the audiences can be so small depending on the different platforms that you're using. So, you know, a lot of marketers are used to thinking of video, it's mass, there's a lot of reach. Well, it's it's a lot smaller now, but, you know, it's more effective, you're not getting the waste, but it, it, it's a different mindset in um, thinking about audience planning. And it's a different mindset too, right, Susan? I want to get you to talk about this, this topic in that, is that it used to be that the model was big ratings, big reach equaled higher CPMs. Yes. And that, do you think that's now wiped away or do you still think that's out there? Um, You know, I think it's hard to find something with high ratings. So, you know, there are going to be some some properties that you are buying for a mass reach approach, right? I mean, look at the NFL, you know, that's still going to be very high CPMs and it's still going to be one of the few things that's going to be really high ratings um, as far as TV goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you're, I think what you're going to see is comparable CPMs for a much smaller audience. Um, but it, it's just a change in thinking, um, you know, and one of the things one of the questions that um, Danielle asked was really, is it only audiences that matter or is content important? And and yeah, content is still important. Um, so content, you know, is what brings the audiences in. Um, so you, there really has to be some more research around the content and what the quality of the content is. Um, you know, it's really the premium content that's bringing in the audiences to all these different streaming platforms, not just because the audiences have nothing better to do yeah. than sit around and watch uh, Peacock all day. You know, people are going because they want to watch Friends or they want to, you know, or wherever. Friends is a, I think HBO Max. I've lost, uh, like like the average consumer, I've forgotten what channel. Yeah, it I'm doesn't matter. <laughs> you just want to watch Friends, right? It's and true. you find it that way. Yeah, it's right. about the content, not about what's screen. Right. Right. So, so the content's still really important. 
for sure. I actually um, listened to a session about addressability and CTV. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have all the names of the people there, but something that I thought was really interesting was a point that you didn't bring up, which is how um, there's an ecosystem transformation going on because of everything you just talked about, that the buyers and sellers have to change the way that their organization is organized because mm -hmm. of this. There, you can't do silo anymore. You can't just right. have the linear TV buyer, the digital buyer. You, you can't do that anymore. And I also found it very interesting. They talked about how... Um, there's still a lot to be worked on. There's a lot of trouble spots. They can talk about the, you know, like you said, it's an industry conference. You could talk about all the great things forever, mm -hmm. but there are some trouble spots. And and one of the people during this session said, we're, we're only in the first or second inning. Yep. And what we're doing, it's education right now. It's, it's figuring out how to get um, the buy and sell people together, the linear and digital sides together, but still so much to learn. And the big disconnect is that there's no one way to measure and report. Yep. So, you know, from a data point of view, there's no normalization of data. It's not unified. So while data is the thing that is being leveraged to bring more value and be more focused on your target, there's no one way to look at that data. So I thought that was very interesting. It's amazing that these conferences really, uh, that they went on and that they were pretty engaging and well-run. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not, you know, they were live or plausibly live, uh, you know, they were pulled together really well. Um, I, I, you have to hand it to the conference organizers, boy. They must have had just a just a lot of stress pulling it all together. I'm sure, but I was very grateful that they did because it gave us a ton of content mm -hmm. to listen to, to kind of hear what is keep you know going on in the industry. It helps consultants like us and and media people, media consumers like us, keeping a, a pulse on what's going on in the industry. Um, so unless either of you have anything else you want to share, I think I'm going to agree with you, Susan. There's still so much that I'm going to dive into because there's just so much content. And then some of that content has reports that you can download and, and, mm -hmm. and dive in even more. So with that, I'm going to thank everybody for listening and Thank you for listening to the Plus Up podcast brought to you by Media Plus Advisors. See you next time.